Thank you, Lord. I believe that is the prayer of some hearts in here this morning that really are in that place of just crying out and needing him to answer. Maybe not even knowing exactly what the cry is, what words to even put to it, but needing him to come to your rescue. And I believe that's some of what we find in Psalm 91. That's the text of our sermon this morning. And so if you have a Bible, open it with me to Psalm 91. If you don't have a Bible and would like to use one of the church's Bibles there under the seat in front of you somewhere, you'll find a little black uh, hardback books. And those are the Bibles. I think you'll find this on page 497 of the Pew Bible. And I've titled this morning's message, A Safe Place to Dwell. A Safe Place to Dwell. Uh, Most of us are familiar with the name General Stonewall Jackson, who uh, got the name Stonewall when he and his brigade stood their ground um, unmoved, completely unmoved by the enemy's assault. Perhaps fewer people know that that steadfastness that he demonstrated in battle came from his belief in an absolutely sovereign God who had numbered his days and even his hours. And so he didn't fear death. He believed it would come when it would come at its appointed time. And he just wasn't afraid of it. So he said uh, to one of his officers, this, my religious belief teaches me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. Well, in a slightly different way, uh, you might say that's the invitation to Psalm 91 issues to us, to abide so closely to that sovereign God who is also our loving Father, who knows us and loves us, that we abide so closely to him that we feel as safe in battle as in bed, regardless of what it is that we battle at any given time. And so let's look together now at Psalm 91. And if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word as we listen with anticipation for what he has to say to us today. Psalm 91, beginning in verse 1, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Listen to the word of God. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. 
Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Let's pray. Well, Father, as always, we are thankful for a living and true word from the Most High God. You know of our great need and for that great need you have given a great Savior. And Lord, we bring with us on any given day, much less any given Sunday, we bring all kinds of needs, burdens, cares, and concerns, questions, and wonderings. You know all of that that's on every heart and you're able to speak and minister to each one. And we ask that that's what you would do today. Would you speak, Lord, your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory because it is all yours. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Well, Psalm 91 is, a, is another one of those uh, familiar psalms to most Christians who have read the psalms. We've been going through a series of them for those who have been with us um, throughout the summer and have picked some that are very familiar and some maybe less so. I thought it was interesting that Dirk mentioned the school was uh, memorizing Psalm 23. Uh, that's another, probably, uh, that's probably the most popular psalm, right? It's the most frequently memorized one. I would say Psalm 91 is probably second to Psalm 23 um, on the list of psalms that people have memorized and draw from at different times in their prayer life because it's comforting and uplifting and filled with hope and encouragement. It has a good word when we need a good word. And believers frequently draw from it when praying for safety and for protection. Whether it's protection from uh, attacks or threats from other people, from sickness and disease, from undefined dangers or, or fears that just come with uncertainty. You're stepping into uncertainty and, and you're, you don't even know what you're afraid of, but you're afraid of it. And we, we draw from Psalm 91 when we pray in times like that. And you may have noticed as we read aloud, there are three voices that speak here in the Psalm. And, and those voices sort of give the Psalm its structure. There's, there's an I, there's a you, and then there's God speaking. So, so verses one and two open up. The psalmist is speaking um, of his own protection. He says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And then in verses three through 13, the psalmist speaks of your protection. And then verses 14 through 16, God speaks of the believer's protection. So in other words, it, it's, it's structured in such a way where the psalmist says, God is my refuge. He is your refuge. He will protect you, deliver you, etc. And then God says, yes, I will protect them. That's, that's really how the psalm is structured there. And as we unpack that, 
I want us to, to notice here two broad assurances to take note of when we're looking for a safe place to dwell in an unsafe world. First, that security in the Lord comes from nearness to the Lord. Security in the Lord comes from nearness to the Lord. Second, we'll notice that it is in the heart of God to do good to his people. So that's what we'll look at uh, this morning briefly. First, that security in the Lord comes from nearness to the Lord. Whatever expectation of safety this psalm offers, it is not offered to everyone indiscriminately. It is for those who draw near to God and remain close to him. Verse one says, he who dwells in the shelter will abide in the shadow. The Hebrew word that's translated shelter in, in most modern translations is rendered the secret place in the King James or the New King James. Some of you are looking at that right now. Some of you, that's the way you memorize it. You might even have a modern translation now, but when you read it, you still say secret place in your head. I found myself doing that all week, even though I'm reading out of the ESV. I keep referring to it as the secret place in my own head. But either way, both, both that word and shadow suggest a nearness of God. You don't just sort of happen upon the shelter of the Most High God or the secret place of the Most High God, and you don't experience it from afar. They imply a nearness to God. You have to stand close to someone to be in their shadow. We, we gained a little bit of a renewed appreciation uh, for this while we were in Spain. That is the blessing of shadows and shade. Uh, when we first arrived and got off of the plane, there was almost no humidity. I told someone this morning, it felt like Southern California. It was uh, 71 degrees, um, almost no humidity at all. And we thought, oh, the favor of the Lord is upon us for sure. And um, uh, Elliot told us it's not usually like this. And sure enough, by the end of the week, it was not um, like that. But, but everywhere we went, there was at, at least less humidity than there is in North Carolina. We never experienced North Carolina kind of humidity. So anytime you could get in the shade, you could actually get some relief. I mean, it was, you would be in a 98 degree sun, but if you stepped into just a little bit of shade, you would feel relief. Those who have spent any time in the, in the desert or the Middle East have, have probably experienced that same thing. But the, the safety of the shelter and the shadow of God are for those who dwell there, for those who dwell near to him. And he, he reiterates this in verse nine. You see again there, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high who is my refuge, no harm will be allowed to befall you here. The Lord himself is a dwelling place, but again, it carries the same essential meaning as before. Those who live their lives near to God find security in him. And then verse 14, there's sort of the same idea, but different language. It's, here's where God speaks and confirms that his deliverance is offered to the one, look, who holds fast to me in love, as it says in the ESV. The other translations you just said, who loves, loves, he loves me or loved me. Uh, King James says, who set his love upon me. 
But the, the Hebrew word here has connotations of being attached to or clinging to. It's a love that joins one person to another. So in other words, it's not just an emotional feeling of love that a person has toward God. The one who intentionally loves him and clings to him, holds fast to him in love. I, I picture when I think of that, uh, something like a family in a crowded public space, think of like the uh, 4th of July uh, fireworks or something downtown where there's lots of people pressed in in a closed area. And when the event's over and it's time for the crowd to disperse, uh, the parents may say, hold on to me and don't let go so we don't get separated. Or, or the or child might even ride piggyback and cling to dad with the chokehold that, you know, he's about to pass out or whatever. He's not sure if he's going to make it out of the crowd. The child is clinging, holding fast to him. That's, that's almost the picture here of one who holds fast to the Lord in love. And all of those together depict a person who stays close by because when something goes down, so to speak, when, when, when you step on the landmine in life and, and things just blow up around you when the, when the bottom just seems to fall out of it, you want to be near to the one who is in control of the situation. Even when it looks like it is just com- com- completely out of control. But you want to stay near to the one who can lead you out or at least lead you into comfort even while you're in the chaos. But it's for those who dwell there. This this promise, whatever degree of promise it is, is not just for the one who occasionally visits the shelter of the Most High. It's not for the one who visited it once upon a time or who even dwelled there along uh, once upon a time. And now they dwell somewhere at a distance from that and tell everybody else about how they need to go to the shelter of the Most High. The promise is not for that one. It is for the one who dwells, dwells in the shelter of the Most High. And it's that person that'll have assurance that God will protect and deliver. Many of us have known that experience um, at one time or another. This is an easy one to forget though, isn't it? Because we do wander out from the shelter of the Most High. We do wander in pursuit of other interests and other affections and that kind of thing. And even though we have known that kind of assurance in the midst of terribly troubling times, We can lose a sense of it as we wander from him. But that's who the offer is made to, those who dwell. The security in the Lord um, is uh, related to the nearness to the Lord. Number two, it is in the heart of God to do good to his people. It is in the heart of God to do good to his people. And in times of danger and trouble, we have to know that and draw from it. You know, it's easy to believe that that's true about other people, isn't it? And to doubt that it's true of you. But this is one of the themes in the book of Deuteronomy. When the people of Israel are getting ready to occupy the promised land and God uh, uh, tells Moses to say to them things like, do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may go well with you. 
He says that, that kind of phrase over and over and over again in the opening chapters of Deuteronomy. Live life my way as you go in to be the people of God in the, in the promised land. Live life my way that it might go well with you. And in, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, you know, you've got blessings um, if they obey and curses if they don't obey. You may remember the framework. Well, well, this is a little different. Deuteronomy speaks of, uh, of what they must do. Psalm 91 is really speaking of where we are to be. It's really not about our doing. It's just about our being um, in his presence. But either way, both speak of God's heart to do good to his people. And it's interesting uh, thinking about that connection with some uh, phrases in Deuteronomy because while this psalm has uh, no, no title and, it's, and it has no author that it's attributed to, some uh, believe that it was written by Moses as Psalm 90 is ascribed to. If you thumb back, you'll notice there that's called a song of Moses. Nobody knows whether Moses wrote this one or, uh, or David wrote it, but it, would, it, it, it sort of expands um, our horizons a little bit when we think about what kinds of situations that we read about in the Bible might this speak to. And so you think about uh, events like the exodus from Egypt when God delivered people from the oppression of Pharaoh or the wilderness wandering where he provided food for them, kept them safe from enemies, protected them from diseases and so forth. So the plagues that struck Egypt didn't strike the people of Israel. All the calamity, uh, heartache and hardship and even death that struck Egypt did not befall the people of Israel. So again, it's an interesting picture that's just helpful to see uh, the, the extent to which God does good to his people. And we need to know that it is in the heart of God to do good to us. It's in the heart of God to do good to you, for those who know him. The yous here in Psalm 91 are all singular. As you, if you're looking at the King James, you'll see these and thous, not yous and yees. That's you, not y'all. Okay? And sometimes, sometimes he does speak to the people collectively. It is y'all. But here the psalm is when he says... Uh, things like in verse three, he will deliver you. It's speaking to the individual, you. And you need to know and believe that it's in his heart to do good to you. And so he offers things like verse three, deliverance from the snare of the fowler and dead, uh, the deadly pestilence. That would be different kinds of uh, tricks and schemes and, and, and attempts by other people to ensnare you. You know, you know what this is like in life if you've lived in any length of time at all. People who are deceptive and manipulative, who, who mean to do you ill and conspire with others even uh, to do that. It might happen in the workplace. It might happen with uh, an ex spouse who's stirring up falsehoods about you for the sake of 
gaining leverage in some way or another, but it happens in, in, in a thousand different ways that people try to lay a snare, so to speak. And there's that kind of deliverance offered. He offers protection here, and that's actually probably the biggest uh, theme throughout Psalm 91. Uh, covering with his pinions or with his feathers, under his wings you'll find refuge. The picture here of a mother bird covering her little babies. Protection from disease, from death. A thousand may fall at your side, verse 7, 10,000 at your right hand, but it won't come near you. You won't even strike your foot against the stone, it says in verse 12. There's protection offered to you about, uh, uh, against any variety of obstacles. And then there's peace. There's deliverance, there's protection, and there's peace specifically from fear. It says in verses five and six, you will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness. So it's not only that you'll be delivered from those things when they strike or that you'll be protected from them before they strike, but you'll be free of fear even when they do or while they stalk you. You will not fear if you dwell in the secret place of the Most High God. And those are wonderful, wonderful promises that we need to ground ourselves in at times in life when we're praying against them. Dig our feet in and ask God to make it true for us, to us, in our specific situation. Now, the one important qualification I would say that needs to be made here is that this this psalm is not a guarantee that nothing bad will happen to us. You know, if it were the... If it were the only chapter in the Bible, well, it'd be pretty good in a time of trouble, wouldn't it be, to know that nothing, no harm's gonna befall you and so forth. But it's not the only chapter in the Bible. And one of the principles of interpreting Scripture is that we let Scripture interpret Scripture, that we consult other places in the Bible that speak to the same um, issue to help us understand any given passage rightly, and we don't interpret one passage in a way that that is contradicted by others. We we, we consult the scripture to know what's the testimony of the whole Bible. And the Bible tells us elsewhere in many places that bad things do happen to Christians. Bad things happen, right? Bad things happen to people. But the Bible also tells us that even then God works them together for good. He says even things like to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's not one we usually have like posted on the mirror, right? With a sticky note. That's not the one we quote usually before we go to work, but it's true and it's, there's, great, there's great assurance in that. That death brings life that the very thing that the enemy would mean for our destruction actually brings to completion uh, God's fullest and finest gift to mankind. 
And so with that in mind, here's, here's the way Charles Spurgeon applies that truth to this psalm. He says, it's impossible that any ill should happen to the man who is beloved of the Lord. The most crushing calamities can only shorten his journey and hasten him to his reward. Ill to him is not ill, but only good in a mysterious form. Losses enrich him, sickness is his medicine, reproach is his honor, death is his gain. No evil in the strict sense of the word can happen to him, for everything is overruled for good. Happy is he who is in such a case. He is secure where others are in peril. He lives where others die. Now, the truth of the matter is, we still pray for good, right? We still, we still ask for good, not the evil that works out for good. I mean, God can do it that way, but I'm, I'm just asking just directly, let's go directly to good, Lord. <laughs> and that's really, what this, that's really what this urges us to. It's the kind of uh, hope and assurance that the psalm offers us. And if we make nearness to God our dwelling place, we know that he's for us, we know that he loves us. We know that it's in his heart to do us good. And so I wanna, I wanna call us to, to a response to that this morning. And, and, and as I do, I'll ask uh, uh, Tommy and whoever else to come back to the, the platform and sing that song again that we sang during the um, offering. Because life, life just brings stuff with it. And it's a common practice of believers to put makeup on our stuff and try to convince other people it's either it's not there or that we're not really troubled by it. But Psalm 91 just invites us to cry out to him. In fact, in fact, it says uh, when, when God speaks into the psalm here, there in verses 14 to 16, he says, because he who holds fast to me in love, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I'll protect him. When he calls, I'll answer him. I will be with him in trouble, he says. I will rescue him. I will honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him. And that needs to be the cry of our heart and the conviction of our heart that when we call out, he will answer us and deliver and protect and be with us and rescue us and honor us. When your child or grandchild has some major medical issue and you're helpless, to do anything about it. And it doesn't matter how old the child or grandchild is, does it? You know, if, you've, if you're a parent of children that are grown and have children of their own, that 40-year-old in distress still brings distress to your own heart. When fear keeps you awake at night, even panic attacks 
night terrors. So that you, you, you literally experience what he refers to here, the terror of the night. Night is that way for some people. Nightmares, ter- uh, night terrors, just great stress that keeps you awake so that the insomnia itself begins to terrorize you. When disease stalks you or your loved ones, either it's afflicted you now or, or, or maybe you've recovered Maybe it's in remission. Maybe, maybe it's just something that you think is gone altogether and yet there is something about it still trying to haunt you and taunt you, just stalking you. The perilous pestilence. Or just when the future is so uncertain that the countless possibilities of bad things that could happen make you afraid. All of that we want to bring to the Lord today in response here. So I'm going to ask some of our um, elders and wives to come forward, staff, um, perhaps who are here, and staff, wives to come forward and be available for prayer. And as we sing this song, I just want to invite you to respond. You can come ask someone to pray with you or for you. You can just come uh, uh, to the front and, and bring to the Lord whatever it is that burdens you. And of course, you're welcome. You're welcome to stand and deal with the Lord right there. But there are burdens. There are burdens that we're carrying. There are ways in which we need his deliverance and protection and rescue, even right now. And we want to be honest and forthright about that before him. That we might find in a personal way, you, thee, and thou might find him to be faithful to answer when we call. Would you stand and sing and respond as the Lord would lead you?